God has a way of upsetting our plans. God has a way of causing us to have to turn and pivot in a different direction than we initially anticipated. This can be revealed from a text message from the guy that was supposed to be preaching today, saying, hey, I'm sick, can't preach Sunday. And you realizing, well, you're the pastor of the church, you've got to make other plans. Or it can be revealed in a number of ways that perhaps you could, if we, had, oh, if we opened up the microphones, you could uh, uh, testify to ways that your plans were altered this week, to ways that your plans were changed this year. And so as our plans have been changed and we have been forced to pivot to Colossians 1, we recognize the glory of who Christ is and what He has done, and we recognize that though God changes our plans, perhaps He has changed your plans, perhaps He has brought you here today to be reminded of the fact that Christ is supreme over all things. God has a way of changing our plans. God has a way of revealing to His people the glories of His Son. Because when our plans change, when our world is turned upside down, we need to see this in order that we may stay afloat. I invite you to follow along as I read Colossians 1, verse 15 through verse 23. This is the Apostle Paul writing, and the he there that he references right at the outset of verse 15 is Jesus. So he writes, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. As we walk through this text this morning, my prayer is that we would marvel at Jesus' total supremacy and resolve to remain steadfast in His absolute sufficiency in the gospel. Let me say this again. Marvel at Jesus' total supremacy in all things and resolve to remain steadfast in his absolute sufficiency for us in the gospel. Verse 15 begins, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
Paul wrote this letter to the church at Colossae because he had heard troubling reports that the church was essentially wavering in their faith. That yes, they had become Christians. Yes, they had started attending church together. But they were starting to wonder, is there something more that we need for spiritual vitality? Said another way, is there something more that we need to make it through life? To have connection with God? To understand ourselves better? So he tells the Colossians that the God who is invisible, the God who is out there that you think you need more, that you need more ways of knowing, well, Jesus is the full revelation of him. He is the image of the invisible God. Do you want to see God? Do you want to see his nature? Do you want to understand his character and his attributes? If you want to see this God, look at Jesus. Do you want to know the character of God, where all of God is summarily visualized and exemplified? Look to Jesus. He is the one supreme, fully reigning God in the flesh. He is not one of many gods, but the one. He is the image of the invisible God. He is also, as Paul says in verse 15, the firstborn of all creation. This does not mean that he was physically born, as if, well, he was physically born, but it does not mean that before his birth, he, was as, he did not exist. No, he has existed from eternity past. He was physically born as he entered into creation, but there has never been a time when Jesus did not exist. What Paul is referencing as he writes and describes him as the firstborn was a, a, a descriptor in his day where a firstborn child would be entitled to, would have all the position and privileges of a, of, of a son of, uh, under the reign of his father or under the authority of his father. And so Paul, in his writing, is helping us to see that Jesus is the Son of God, the Son of the King, the Son who himself freely and without threat or rival rules over all that he has authority over. Therefore, all of creation cries out to the praise of his name. And Paul further illustrates this picture of the complete supremacy of Jesus when he says in verse 16, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. We'll just stop right there. As we marvel at the supremacy of Jesus, get a taste of the immensity of the fact that all things were created by him. Not some things, not a few things. All things. The breathtaking grandeur of the Grand Canyon with its layered bands of red rocks climbing up out of the base all the way into the sky, it seems, from down below. Its deep valleys carved by the Colorado River. And no matter what way you turn your head, it is all breathtaking. Or there's remote islands in the South Pacific with mountains so high Beaches so gorgeous, trees so beautiful. There's the vast tundra and mountainous regions of Siberia where little animals run, where rivers and streams flow, where snow falls, and all of it is across thousands and thousands of miles with no one in sight. Haven't mentioned rainforests, deserts, high mountains, great plains, anything else in the world that exists testifies to the power and wisdom of Christ its creator. The unsettled, dark, vast, rough seas of the North Atlantic where ships bob up and down in high waves and heavy winds as they forge the, the waters 
traversing that pathway from Europe to North America. And then there is the subtle, leaf-covered, babbling brook just over in Wampatuck State Park, created by Him just by the word of His power. Consider the sparrow that awakens you in the morning with her faint but pleasant chirps as she welcomes the arrival of daylight in her nest, which she built of tiny little leaves and sticks. All of them also created in the perfect wisdom of Christ. And then consider the 4,000-pound hippopotamus that roams sub-Saharan Africa, can run as fast as 20 miles per hour, can jump in water and swim with the force and the swiftness of a behemoth like those mentioned in the book of Job. These are but two of the millions of different animals. I heard recently that there are 800,000 known and identified species of insects alone. All of them created by the power and the creating wisdom That is but the smallest sampling of things on earth. What about all that he has created in the heavens or the sky? The sun that rises each morning with dazzling splendor as as it pierces the horizon over the Atlantic. And like a strong man, it runs its course with joy until it sets in the evening. And you see one of those dynamic sunsets where the clouds in the sky are lit up by varying hues of pink and purple and orange and red. And the sky burns with magnificence as it does what? testifies to the one who created it. What about the moon that in the perfect wisdom and precision of God reflects the light of the sun upon the earth and is so perfectly placed that it softly, it softly causes the tides to rise and fall at beaches day by day, year by year, waters rising and falling, all because the moon has been placed just where it has in our sky. And then there are stars at the farthest reaches of the universe that NASA pours millions of dollars and thousands of man-hours into learning about. The stars that are even beyond the ones that light up the night sky. You know the night sky, when you go outside, it's dark, it's clear, you can see your breath in the winter. And you're standing in your backyard and you look up and you realize how absolutely small you are. It's said that if you had no obstacles, no light problems, no trees blocking part of it, that if you were just out in the middle of a desert and it was pitch black and clear, you could see as many as 5,000 stars in the night sky. But that's just 5,000 out of the estimated 100,000 million stars that make up the Milky Way. Yes, that's a number, 100,000 million, that make up the Milky Way alone, our galaxy, our neighborhood in the universe But then you go out from the Milky Way and there are millions upon millions of other galaxies, not stars, but millions upon millions of galaxies like our Milky Way, each of those having millions and hundreds of millions of stars as well. And that's just what scientists have been able to deduce to this point. And all of this created and sustained by Christ Himself. When last did you take your eyes off your TV or smartphone and go outside and get a reminder of how utterly small you are and pondered how the wonder of creation speaks to the wisdom of our Creator? This is good for your soul to do. Walks in nature are good for your soul. Open your eyes. Let creation stir your hearts. 
to ponder the wonder of Christ who controls and holds it all together. These are just the things that we can see. Consider protons, neutrons, electrons, atoms, molecules, bacteria, viruses, cells, tiny particles, so small, so complex, so powerful, and yet so invisible to the naked eye. All things created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. That visible and that invisible likely means spiritual forces that Paul references that the Colossians were tempted to be led astray by. So he throws in there these visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things created for him and for him. And Paul is telling this to the church because they, they had gotten into a mindset that said, yeah, we have Jesus but we feel like we need more. We would never say it so outright bluntly like that. I have Jesus, but I feel like I need more. But if you're anything like me, so often that's exactly what my heart does say. And it reveals itself, not in saying it like that, but in failing to run to Christ with the things that weigh me down. Failing to trust Christ with the things that seem so much bigger than I am. And things that daunt or are daunting, intimidating, and feel as if they will be our destruction. And we look around and say, is there something greater out there? You know, we're not tempted to participate in some kind of mystic worship service that was perhaps starting to grip the people of Colossae. But don't we try to water Jesus down with spiritual lingo and thinking that is inconsistent with the Bible? Perhaps you buy into the concept that Jesus is good, but He's one way and there are other ways to spiritually connect with God. Jesus has His place in the marketplace of, of the gods or of matters of spirituality, but Paul says Jesus created, owns, runs, and rules over the marketplace, and there is no true spiritual power or connection with God apart from Jesus. You know, another way that we can get all mixed up spiritually is in thinking that there are angels or spiritual powers that we can pray to or rely upon that can, can even be like our guardian angels or, or special ones that keep attention on us and and, and, and you understand the sentiment of someone saying, like, when they're going through a hard time, you know, I just know so-and-so was with me. May I encourage you, brother or sister, that the God of the universe, Christ himself, is with you. That he created, that he rules over and is glorious in the protection and the provision and the ministry he has to his people. All things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And yet, it is one thing to think that He created it, that He put it all there, and then He took His creating powers by which He did all that, and kind of took that off and put it to the side and said, oh, okay, I need a break now. That's how I would be. Isn't it how you would? I, I get tired pulling weeds for an hour and a half. And Jesus is the one who created it all, who reigns over all of it. And what this word shows us is not that he is just before all things, but we see in verse 17, look at this, look at this. He is before all things, and then what does Paul say? And in him all things hold together. This is mind-blowing. 
to think that each and every day, each and every moment, Jesus Christ sustains and keeps his creation going, and he alone is the one that does this. From the winds that sweep at hurricane force at the top of Mount Washington, to the steady rainfall in tropical rainforests in Central America, to the steady snowfall that coats a tiny village in the Alps with a fresh coat of snow, Jesus holds it all together. When the Dow Jones rises or falls, when the Fed adjusts interest rates, when the markets in Shanghai or Europe open and close for trading, when corporate boardrooms meet, when HR uh, discussions happen, when startups are formed in a garage, when inventions are patented, it is Jesus that holds all things together. When the sun rises on the city, the sun is rising, planes are taking off and landing at Logan, cars are commuting up and down the expressway, or perhaps more accurately stated, sitting still on the expressway, trains are buzzing, ferries are traversing through harbors, people walking sidewalks, doctors caring for patients, employees sitting down at their desks, teachers uh, 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 entering their classrooms, de- deliveries being made, kids getting on the school bus. The engine of the day begins, and who is it that holds all of it together? Christ, of course. Do you realize every night when you go to bed, I don't know about you, but when I fall asleep, I'm out. I'm not watching the news. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing my to-do list. I'm not accomplishing tasks that wait before me. When I'm asleep, I'm checked out. Do you realize that every night it is an act of faith in Christ for you to close your eyes and to go to sleep? You might say, hey, that's pretty, I'm pretty good at that. I feel like sometimes I struggle at matters of, of trusting the Lord, you're actually pretty good at it when you go to bed every night. Because what do you do? When you go to bed, you are hoping and you are trusting in the fact that you will wake up five, six, seven, eight, hopefully more like seven or eight, hours later, and what? The world will still be spinning on its axis. That life will still be pressing forward. That you will wake up and it won't be, oh my goodness, it has gotten too cold, it has gotten too hot. But no, Christ controls his creation. That's an act of faith. Praise God before you go to bed tonight. That you will wake up and then praise Christ in the morning when you wake up. It is Christ that holds it all together. Now, I suppose some of us might be thinking something like, well, okay, Jesus created it all. He holds everything together in perfect power and wisdom. I got that, Stephen. I'm tracking with you. But what about when the beautiful rainfall produces a devastating flood? What about when the government authorities that he has put in place abuse their power and put their own people in concentration camps? What about when the tiny bacterium that is complex in nature produces a deadly disease? What about the many terrible things that await around the corner? We don't know what the cover of the Boston Globe will say tomorrow, next week, next year. What about when you feel as if a struggle in worship is not the fact that you don't believe that he has it all together, but you actually believe that he does control all things, and that makes it harder to understand why your life has taken the turn that it has. I want you to see something in the structure of Paul's writing that is absolutely fascinating. You see, there's a gritty, dark reality that deeply seeps into our souls, deep in the human experience, where we unknowingly cry out to our maker and sustainer, not only do I need you to rule over all this, but I actually need more. And he knows that. And he knows that. And look at this. 
So verses 15 to 17 talk about how he's the image of God. He's the creator. He's the one who sustains all of these things. But now look at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the first one from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So it's like we have creation to this point. Creation has done and is exactly doing all that it does. It's marching along its track. Yet, we see not just he rules over his creation, but we see in some ways we need rescue from, his cre- from, from this creation that has been stained, that has been tinged by, that has been infected by sin of mankind. Not of God, but of us. And so we need rescue and we need something that can bring us out of this pain, this agony, this sorrow that we feel, that we feel haunts us and follows us. And so he tells us that he is the firstborn from the dead. He's the head of the body, the church. In him all the fullness of God, verse 19, was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Do you see those similarities? He rules over creation, but he is also building a new creation. See that? He rules over his creation, but he is building, he is establishing a new creation. Why would he be doing that? Remember what it means to be the firstborn over something? You see in verse 18, he's the firstborn from the dead. It means to be the one who rules over that thing as an heir who has all power. So what is he showing here? In Jesus being the firstborn from the dead, he's showing us that Jesus has authority over death. He has inaugurated, he has established a new creation where death itself is no more. So he's the beginning, the first one from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Christ reigns over his creation, yet he's establishing a new creation, and these two are working on track together under the fullness of his authority. And we see in our creation around us a mystery that is hard to fathom, yet we see it that it is true. And we see that Jesus reigns, yet our world groans in agony and sorrow, in the pains of this world. And so what you see is creation groaning and new creation growing. Our world feels the effects of the rebellion of our ancestors, Adam and Eve, and all who would come after them, including you and I. And our world feels the burden of our rebellion against God. And yet God gives us the mercy of absolutely perfect, beautiful summer days like today. God gives us the mercy of, like I said earlier, waking up after going to sleep the night before and the world not spiraling totally out of control. God gives us the mercy of the, wis- uh, of the gift of, of, of medicine of, of, of scientific advancements. Our life expectancies are more than double what our great, 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 great ancestors were. God gives us the mercy of good food, of nourishment, of shelter. And yet He doesn't look upon us and say, isn't that enough? No, He knows that you and I need more. He knows that you and I need something deeper. He knows that we need not just our situation in life to be satisfied 
But we need our hearts to be rescued. We need salvation. And so how do these tracks of creation groaning, new creation growing, how do they come together? Look at verses 19 and 20. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, this is speaking of Christ, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. He was pleased to dwell. Look at that, end of verse 19. He was pleased to do this work. Do not ever believe, dear Christian, that your Lord is a reluctant Savior. They did not have a cosmic game of rock, paper, scissors in heaven between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit as to go, who would go and undertake this work of the redemption of, the, of His people. Oh, I lost. All right, I'll do it. I'll see you guys in a little bit. No, He was pleased. Why was He pleased? He's pleased because of God's resolve to rescue His creation so that through Him He might reconcile Himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven. This word reconcile doesn't, we don't think of it like, or we shouldn't think of it like two parties who don't see eye to eye. No, reconciling Himself to all things is bringing His creation into full harmony with Himself. And so as we look at a world where buildings collapse, where hurricanes hit, where disease and famines uh, spread, where global conflicts escalate, where sicknesses torment bodies, where dreams are broken, where expectations go unfulfilled, where, yes, your sin and my sin runs roughshod through us, and it's ingrained in us like our DNA, and we say, where is Jesus in that? We look at this, and we see that He is so resolved in His creation that He goes to, res to the cross and makes peace by the blood of His cross. In His death, He endured the worst that this broken creation could offer. The injustice of our sins killing the Savior. But in His resurrection, He inaugurated a new creation in which death no longer has the final word. And in His present reign over us today, He is guiding the hands of time to this point where creation will exist fully reconciled and enjoying Him. And as the church, what do we do? We don't sit off to the side and say, wow, that's really impressive. No, we sit here under the authority of our Lord, ministered to by His Word, nourished by His Spirit, and we see that He brings us in on the task of growing by His grace and of sharing with those around us of the glories of our Lord. The reconciling power of Jesus over creation sets hearts and lives and people toward Him. In perfect submission toward Him. In perfect, complete accord with His redeeming purposes. So we marvel at Jesus' total supremacy over all things and we resolve to remain steadfast and His absolute sufficiency for us in the Gospel. Look at this. Verse 21, You who were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, 
He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Let me just pause here. Jesus Christ, in coming to fix the great evils and ills of our world, in coming to right the wrongs that plague His creation, He has started by doing this work in hearts and in lives. And He promises in a day to come to inaugurate, to bring out a new creation, new heavens and new earth. But let me ask you, as you hear this, Do you, if you do not yet follow Christ, if you have not yet come before Him and and, and repented of your sins, have looked at His cross and said, I need that grace. It was in my sins that I deserve the punishment of God. And it is by His grace that I am redeemed by Him. If you have not done that today, I urge you, to look at how the reconciliation, the making right of the, of, 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 the, of, of, the, of the weights that your heart feels, it can only truly begin when you first have this business handled between you and God and come to grips with this cross. And now secondly, for all of us, may we do as verse 23 exhorts us to do, continue in the faith. Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Brothers and sisters, may we make it a habit to hear, to be reminded of, to be refreshed in the gospel. To hear, to be reminded of the work of Christ. To commit ourselves to understanding and to growing by His grace in the reality of all that He has done and is doing in our world and would be doing through His church. We are not passive bystanders to the ongoing, unfolding, redemptive work of God, but He calls us, invites us in, and pushes us out into the task of making His gospel known. Make it a habit to hear the gospel. Make it a habit to proclaim the gospel. Make it a habit to never get tired of the gospel. To never grow old in in digesting and understanding the gospel. Make it a habit, oh Christian, to continue in the faith. Welcoming our Lord's redeeming, changing work in you as He transforms you. as As He makes you new. As He who began this work in all of creation continues this work of making you a new creation. Let us resolve to remain steadfast in the absolute sufficiency of Christ for us in the gospel. We do not, you do not have a small Savior. Pray that He would help you to never forget this. Whenever you start to forget this, whenever this starts to to, to drift from your mind and your circumstances that seem to overwhelm start to get too great, and Christ gets small, run back to Colossians 1. Run back to Colossians 1 until Christ gets greater and His glory over these smaller creation, or these smaller uh, uh, circumstances is rightly reoriented again. Brothers and sisters, 
recognize that the work that Christ is doing in his church is not just for us, but it is for his glory over all creation. It is for his glory over all of Situate. And may his gospel be sufficient for us.